You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, yeah, the the Bucks aren't aren't good right now. Uh, the- <laughs> we should we should preface this by saying that we're recording Sunday night, and and we just both finished watching the Packer game, which was, you know, one of those like sucker punch type almost wins better than expected but still a loss so do you care about a moral victory type thing so not even that like a you know like as as packer fans we almost had a nice thing on sunday <laughs> and then at the death the the steelers beat the green bay packers so that was that's a bummer uh, of a sunday and on saturday of course yes the the uh Milwaukee bucks did give us a uh, a bummer on saturday as well losing to the utah jazz and and making the jazz offense um look like uh i don't know like the 2014 spurs or something like, something like <laughs> that uh, the jazz who uh are never that good offensively but for some well i won't say for some reason because i think we we know why yeah. uh whenever they play the bucks uh everything just starts to click uh way better than it, it normally does yeah it, it it does tend to do that 18 of 32 from three for the utah jazz on saturday night um i, I think we talked about it and uh, I, I know it was mentioned a bunch on twitter on saturday night the jazz took 20 corner threes i think last year in a game against the bucks and Quinn Snyder and his his squad of guys was going to do everything they could do to hunt out corner threes, and they did it the entire night. Um, it was a frustrating experience to watch. Uh, obviously, it was going to kind of be the exact same action that I think if if you scout the Bucks, you know you can take advantage of with the Bucks. You're going to run a pick and roll in the middle, have a three point shooter on the strong side wing, and make the Bucks tag on the backside and then throw a skip pass over the top. Like that's, that's pretty much just kind of how it always works. And I, I, I'm not going to say that scun report hasn't been out for a while. And I mean, there's almost times where you think like, man, it, some of these teams make this look so easy. Why doesn't everyone do this? And, and maybe some offenses just aren't kind of made to do that. Uh, but now we've seen what two games in a row where teams have set franchise records. Uh, for made three-pointers against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and I think you quipped last night that there's always a chance to see history be made when you're watching the Milwaukee Bucks this season. And, yeah, that, that's kind of where we are at with the Bucks defense. Uh, and I know a bunch of people have critiqued it and said, oh, how are they just not smart enough to see it? And I, I would argue that it's probably not about being smart or dumb enough to see something it is about being too stubborn to change something. Uh, 
the the shot profile hasn't changed for years. It's been the same as it always is, and it's not really changing. Yeah, I mean the the frustrating part. I mean, you know, you you look at the the way that the Jazz scored. You mentioned the eighteen threes. Um, that's fifty four points on threes. You look at what they did in the paint. Forty eight points in the paint. The Bucks were plus six in the paint, so the Bucks did a lot of damage in the paint. But just eight threes out of twenty one. You know, get eight out of twenty is a terrible percentage, but um, just not that many threes attempted and minus thirty from three point line. And then you know you only beat them by six in the paint. So you know all told, you add it up the jazz get 112 102 of their 121 points um either in the paint or from the three-point line and you know that's the old critique it's 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 mori ball right you're yep. you're getting killed um from the two the two ideal places to uh to be getting baskets um and i don't have the that rim numbers offhand but um you know certainly especially in the fourth quarter I and mean, there were just a number of times did ricky ruby have like an unimpeded layup i think at one point in the fourth quarter um it, it seemed like you know the jazz were able to just have Derek favors stand at the three-point line and then they would just like you know run like a pick and roll or just have a guy try to go past his man oh i'm at the rim here's a layup um so you know again kind of a lot of the the issues we talked about of um you know i, I thought it was interesting um you know the normally you know what we talk about with uh, the way the Bucks, you know, aggressively trap, and you know, <laughs> I think uh, uh, was it Andy Larson from the Jazz, uh, from uh, who covers the Jazz, um, joked about uh, how strange it was to see a team basically citing two guys at, at Ricky Rubio, who normally, you know, teams go under screens and kind of dare to shoot, um, yep. and you know, so and you know, the Jazz just hunted out those shots. I mean, Joe Ingles, uh, very smart guy, he had a. a very good interview on uh, uh, the Zach Lowe podcast a week ago. Um, he hits five threes, nine assists, 15 points. Uh, and, you know, the, the Bucks. it was just one of those things. The the Jazz just were patient, and they worked the ball, and they just drove and kicked and drove and kicked. And usually it only took one or two of those before they were able to get the Bucks to collapse, send extra bodies, whether it was off a of pick and roll or otherwise. And, you know, with 31 assists on 46 made shots for the Jazz, um, I thought that really kind of spoke volumes about the way that they played offensively and the unselfishness they showed. And, um, you know, they just kind of picked the Bucks apart one by one. And, you know, they had a lot of open shots. And then in the fourth quarter, it seemed like they were hitting a lot of th- – they started to hit the really tough ones too. Rodney Hood, Donovan Mitchell had some really yep. difficult three-pointers as well. So, you know, it's sort of one of those when it rains at porous types things we saw against Dallas as well. You know, a team gets open looks, starts to get its confidence up, and then, you know, by the fourth quarter, that's when Devin Harris and J.J. Barea start up, you know, hitting prayers against you and uh, against Jazz. It was kind of similar. So, um, so yeah, the defense, again, you know, 129.1 points per 100 allowed. Um, slower pace game. Um, the Bucks did have a 17-4 advantage in fast break points, but, um, you know, not able to make huge hay off the turnovers. Um, you know, just 10 turnovers uh, by the Jazz. The Bucks do get... 21 points off those turnovers uh but the bucks also had 17 turnovers so they obviously lost that battle and the jazz had 27 points off those turnovers so you know you kind of just do the math you you know you lose the points off turnover battle you lose the three-point battle and you barely win the points in the paint battle um it's just really difficult to to make a living that way and um you know the bucks i thought showed some fight in in coming out in the third quarter and um, you know, I, I don't know if we want to get into exactly what changed there, at least for a moment. Um, but they actually came out with a 12-5 run to start the third quarter and actually took the lead. But um, ultimately, you know, some of those nasty habits uh, ultimately won out and kind of the same story that we, we've told so many times. And it's just, I don't know, it's interesting to think about that because um, 
we've talked about it before that at multiple times this season, the Bucks have appeared willing to be a little bit more flexible defensively to try some new things. And in that 12-5 run, that was, that was kind of what they did. Instead of the heavy trapping, there was some more switching going on. And it looked like, oh, okay, this is, this is different. They made some adjustments at halftime. And they, they were actually making changes. And in my mind, I thought, okay, that's awesome. And then after the timeout, they went back to trapping. And uh, this was noted, as you pointed out on Twitter today, by our friend at All the Bucks. Uh, he had some videos and notes written up on the game. Uh, so you should go check those out. But yeah, I, I, I don't get it, Frank. <laughs> We've seen them try different things. And again, that's great. But it also suggests to me that you understand that there's something wrong with what you're actually doing. And if you understand that now, why don't you understand that earlier? And why don't you commit to something new earlier? And then why don't you commit to that new thing more often than the thing that's not working and getting you killed every game? Like the, the mind games I'm trying to go through to attempt to figure out why you'd make an adjustment for that short of a period and not stick with it or make that a longer-term adjustment, I don't know. I'm just lost. Yeah, well, and after the game, Matt Velasquez from the Journal asked Jason Kidd, you know, about making adjustments. He said, well, you know, Jason Kidd's response is, well, we made adjustments, and then that didn't work either. At halftime, we made adjustments. That didn't work either. And, you know, again, look, I, I, I didn't watch the game a second time. Um, did they go back to switching at some point a little bit more, and then they didn't work? You know, I, I don't know, but certainly from you know i think what what we saw the first time around and you know as we said all the bucks had it had some interesting notes on this as well um it that didn't really seem to mesh with kind of what well, i don't know what happened but uh, i don't know i mean at this point like you know uh, at this point the patience of everyone for jason kidd's defense and you know how he makes adjustments or doesn't make adjustments um you know, I feel like we've had this conversation so many times, and you know, as we enter to play uh, games on Monday, the Bucks will be 22nd in defensive rating. So, you know, same as it ever was. Whatever the Bucks are doing, uh, they give up too many easy baskets. They still are last in the league in uh, opponent shot attempts at the rim. Uh, they are they're still better even after that the blitzing that we've seen from the three-point line uh, a couple of the games here of last week or two um they're still better than they were last year in that regard um Baby you know, opponents steps. are yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean opponent i mean the, the the only silver lining here is that opponents are shooting kind of an unreal number from you know in terms of percentage um you know, is there something about the way the, you know, the number? I haven't looked at the you know ratio of open shots to 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 not open shots, but I mean, basically, teams are shooting almost like every shot is wide open in terms of percentage. Which again, you know, they're I think about four percent worse. Uh, you know, in terms of allowed percentage, I think the Bucks are allowing about four percent worse from three this year than last year. Which you know, again, that's that's a three pointer a game um, over you know twenty twenty some attempts, and um, yeah, that's that's really going to hurt you and. Obviously, the Bucks are are not in a great place right now, and um, you know I think certainly I, I want to talk a bit about the lineups and the continued kind of weirdness there. But um, certainly, probably the the story of the game afterwards um, was not so much the return of Giannis, unfortunately, because that 
should have been uh, certainly a plus. Giannis goes for 27 on 18 shots, 13 boards, five assists. Uh, in his return from the knee injury, the sore knee that kept him out of the midweek game, um, he started off four out of four, uh, struggled a bit more as the game went on, uh, made six out of his last uh, 14 shots. So um, got frustrated with some non-calls, got probably about as visibly frustrated with the officiating as maybe you're going to see Giannis get. I was surprised he did not get teed up, to be honest. I, yeah. I, I, I could not see what Jason Kidd was doing if he was also arguing or not. Obviously, we know that there's been frustration over Jason Kidd not sort of speaking out enough or getting tees on Giannis's behalf. Um, but Giannis does not get a tee. And in the third quarter, he then sort of tries to force a play, gets the ball stripped, doesn't sprint back on defense the bucks give up another basket and i believe right after that play uh sean sweeney assistant coach gets in his face about you know presumably uh not getting back on defense um you know again we're just sort of guessing there and uh the video was pretty unequivocal that Giannis got right back into him and um told him that in no uncertain terms he would f him up (laughs) yep uh not, not did not I would I wouldn't say he had to be restrained but uh cooler heads had to sort of stand the, between them and uh obviously they eventually quieted down and the game continued and you know that that was it um today Giannis made sure to come out and you know clarify that it was a heat of the moment thing and he and Sean Sweeney are, are like brothers we all know that they have worked together as as closely as anybody on the staff with Giannis Sean is, Sweeney has traveled uh with Giannis to to work out with him been kind of his personal coach uh through the last couple of summers and uh obviously Sweeney also the architect of the much maligned defense so there's sort of a lot of things a lot of things kind of coming together here um but obviously that that was going to draw attention when given it's Giannis uh given it's the architect of the defense and given how poorly the defense has been playing and the frustration that the bucks have been showing. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, again, is this a lingering thing that's going to affect the bucks moving forward? Probably not. Right. Like, I, I don't think Giannis hates Sean Sweeney or anything like that, but um, obviously fans are not the only people that have been getting frustrated with the bucks play. And obviously part of this was probably officiating playing into it as well, but um, clearly uh, a sign that, not all is well uh, in the state of Denmark or or Milwaukee in this case. A couple things here. One, watching the video, did I correctly see Sweeney give Giannis a kind of like bring it kind of finger motion? Some kind uh, of he, some kind of gesture at him. Yeah. Like, all right, like so, I'll give Sweeney a little bit of credit there. Um, I would back down from Giannis Dedekumbo. That is a large man, but. Not Sweeney. He was ready to go back at him. Um, but more seriously, you can say it's a non-story. You can say all the right things the next day. And like that's all great. Because uh, I'm totally positive that Giannis and Sweeney are totally okay. They, they spend all the time in the world together. Like you said, he, he travels with Giannis everywhere. Like He's essentially attached at the hip with Giannis. So like, there's no doubt in my mind that those two are good. There is no doubt in my mind that those two guys are extremely fiery and competitive. There's no doubt in my mind that those two guys want to win. And there's no doubt in my mind that they've had arguments like that before, just not in front of cameras. All of those things are true, but to say it's nothing, not a big deal, a non-story is totally disingenuous because it's not that these two guys hate each other. 
It's not that they're going to be at odds, that they're never going to get along. It's that the Bucks are playing terrible basketball right now. Like, that's the story. Like, that incident doesn't happen if the Bucks are, say, I don't even know what it would be since Bloodsoe got here, 6-2. Uh, and two. Like, if they if they want to continue their winning ways, if they, if they weren't struggling so much right now, I don't think that happens. If the if the Bucks have an eighty percent winning percentage right now, that that exact incident does not happen. And if it does, then you can tell me all those things that all these guys want to do is win, that they are the most competitive people on earth, blah blah blah. All that stuff's great, but it's happening because the Bucks suck so much right now. Like, like that's that's what's going on right now. Like in the last four games, negative eleven net rating. In the last four games, one hundred nine defensive rating, good for twenty fourth. In the last four games, ninety eight point eight offensive rating. Like all of those are bottom five marks. The Bucks are on par in the last four games with the Chicago Bulls, the Orlando Magic, and the Atlanta and the Atlanta Hawks. Those are the teams they are with right now. So, again, it can be a non-story. It can be nothing. These guys can get along perfectly. But don't tell me that to my face because it's totally disingenuous. Like, I just don't believe you in, in this not being a story. Like, this thing occurred because the Bucks are struggling so much right now. Because everyone involved with the Bucks is so frustrated right now. And whether or not this incident happened, you can see it from the body language. Like, no one... It, does anyone look particularly happy on the Milwaukee Bucks right now when they're playing the game of basketball? I don't think so. Does anything look easy for the Milwaukee Bucks right now? Offensively, nothing's coming easy. Defensively, they're, shump- they're slumped shoulders all the time uh, because either someone didn't get a rotation, someone was lazy, something. Like there, There is massive frustration, and that is why that thing occurred. So, again, Giannis and Sweeney can be cool. That's fine. But to say that everything in the ecosystem is fine, no, that that's BS. Well, well, so I, and obviously, I think some of the lineups that we've seen are indicative of the fact that Jason Kidd is throwing stuff against the wall and trying to find something to shake things up, especially presumably on the defensive end. Yep. <clears throat> Two games ago, uh, against Phoenix, uh, they with Giannis out, uh, they make the big change. They throw Brogdon and. Gary Payton into the starting lineup alongside Eric Bledsoe, which was really weird <laughs> to put basically yep. three point cards, uh, all three of your point cards that are active in the starting five. Um, against the Jazz, Giannis is back. So the guy who sacrificed, interestingly, is Malcolm Brogdon, uh, who played well. Shout out to Malcolm. Seven yep. out of nine from the field, four out of five threes. Um, they ran a, Poster a couple dunk. nice... Yeah, poster dunk. They uh, they had a really nice set where they got him uh, one or two open threes that he hit, uh, four rebounds, two assists. Um, you know, again, he was a team worst minus twenty, but again, I'm I'm not going to put too much blame on Malcolm for this game because he actually was, especially offensively, really effective. And you know, obviously the I mean the three problems. best players were their biggest negatives. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not Chris. <laughs> I mean, not in the game, but like their three best players. Yeah, overall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So. Uh, Bledsoe starts again alongside Gary Payton. And for the second straight game, so Gary Payton, I'm not aware of him hurting himself because I think he finished the game eventually. But Payton plays seven minutes, uh, didn't have a foul this time, so it wasn't a foul problem. But 
Gary Payton starts, and so if we're going to give Jason Kidd the benefit of the doubt, in theory, what he's trying to do is not just bring Brogdon off the bench, who's been coming off the bench, but also uh, Tony Snell, uh, who also played very well. Yep. 18 points on 8 out of 10 shooting. Had like a half dozen, no, 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 no. Well, oh, sure. okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, plays, including <laughs> um, a couple really nice takes to the rim. Yep. Started off with like a very kind of difficult like running banker uh, after he picked up his dribble. Um, but Tony was certainly very effective offensively off the bench. And I guess in theory, the idea is that you're trying to put a random dude like Gary Payton in the starting five to give yourself a better chance with these bench units that have been struggling. But I mean, here, here's the thing. So I was listening to uh, Zach Lowe's last podcast, um, not the one with Joe Ingles, but with Jeff Van Gundy. And Jeff Van Gundy had an interesting point. I forgot which team he was talking about, but he was talking about a team. And he was basically saying, like, you know, sometimes early in the season, you're not, like, feel like you're not getting rhythm. You know, was it the Wolves? Okay. And he says, you know, sometimes you just got to shorten your rotation. Give guys a couple extra minutes on the court. You know, try to figure out, you know, instead of going 10, 11 men deep, go nine men deep and try to get a little bit more, you know, if and again, he, Jeff and Gunny didn't say 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 this, but to me, it's like, you know, it's almost like you just want to get a little more sample size, like figure out, like let these guys figure out, figure things out a little bit, you know, go through best nine guys and go with that, especially right now with the Bucks, because, you know, you're down at least a couple guys, um, you know, Delhi and Toledovich due to injuries. Um so th- there's a more than just kind of a casual reason to potentially shorten the rotation because a couple of your normal rotation guys aren't, aren't even available. Um, instead, we've seen the Bucks kind of stretch out the rotation. Uh, Gary Payton randomly gets these starter minutes. Um, we've seen, you know, Thon, Malcolm, Tony uh, have been kind of the normal guys you'd expect off the bench. DeAndre Liggins only played eight minutes and picked up five fouls, um, which obviously probably might have been part of the reason uh, that we saw uh, Sterling Brown in particular because DeAndre Liggins looked like he wanted to take out the referee. I think it was in the was in the first quarter or second quarter. <laughs> yeah, he was not And uh, Sterling Brown came in and gave them, uh, made at least one 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 play end-to-end uh, that was that was solid. Um, but Rashad Vaughn also, also like, randomly comes in in the fourth quarter, like, before the game is completely decided just to get, like, a few minutes, which just was strange. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it just feels like, you know, here's here's the silver lining for Bucks fans. If you go look at the Bucks' best lineups, I tweeted this out the other night. The Bucks' three most used lineups have been really good. Um, the lineup with the sort of the old starting lineup with Malcolm starting – um, with Tony Snell, Chris Middleton, John Henson, and Giannis. That group in 101 minutes is plus 14, 119 offensive rating, 105 defensive rating. That's really good. That's one of the best marks in the league if you're looking at like best lineups that have played a you know, minimum number of minutes. Another good lineup, the current starting five, you know, or at least the current mm-hmm. starting five before the, the Gary Payton injury, right, with Snell and Bledsoe alongside Middleton, Henson, and Giannis. That group, 115 offensive rating, 103 defensive rating, plus 12.5. That's also really good. So you look at kind of like those couple couple groups, and you say, well, those teams are defending pretty pretty darn well and scoring really well. So whatever we're saying about you know the offense not working, the defense looking like a complete mess, really hasn't applied to those those kind of most used lineups. And even the third most used lineup, which has played 90 minutes, which you sub in Thon and Malcolm for Bledsoe and Henson, that group's at 112 offensive rating, 103 defensive rating, so almost plus nine. So that's also good. Um, 
so your kind of three most used lineups, you know, those those lineups account for I think it's like uh, let's see, uh, 189, yeah, 290 out of the Bucks, 869 minutes. So like roughly a third, basically exactly a third of the Bucks minutes comes from those first three lineups. And the next most used lineup only has only played 26 minutes. So there's a big drop off. And those three lineups have all been good. So you know, if there's a silver lining to to everything we've seen so far, it's that the guys who are your best players who should be playing together the most, they're actually working together pretty well. But the problem is that like you try to do you know anything that they've been doing basically mixing and matching with guys off the bench. I mean, granted, some of these guys are now off the bench with Malcolm and Thon. But for the most part, you know, you kind of mix in some of these other, like, combinations. And suddenly, like, everything else just, like, it's been way more hit or miss. And it's not to say that all the other lineups are, are big negatives or something like that. But, you know, for the most part, though, obviously, you look at it, the most common lineups have worked and everything else hasn't. So to then say, like, oh, I'm going to take Tony Snell out of the starting five and I'm going to take put him off the bench. And, you know, I mean, the good news is, Tony Snell still played 38 minutes, right? Yep. And so I'm going to temper my, you know, anxiety to some extent because, okay, as silly as it is to start Gary Payton, at least you only played him seven minutes. Um, you know, the guys who are good, Tony Snell, Malcolm Brogdon, Spent in particular, still played a good number of minutes. Malcolm, 27 minutes, he could have played more for sure. Um, but so it's sort of this weird thing where it's like, you know, they're kind of like, it's kind of like tinkering with these weird lineups. But it's kind of like, you know, just stick with the lineups you have. And then I think what you want to tinker with more is what you're doing with your bench sort of like partial bench lineups, right? And again, yep. there's no like five-man five, five man rotation where it's all bench guys. Like it's not like kid is doing that, thankfully. But um, to me, I would say like, well, let's, let's experiment more with like the combinations of guys in the second units. And let's not worry so much about the starting five because I think what after halftime Snell came back into the starting five to start the third quarter and sure enough they go on this quick run and things start to look better. So I, I don't know. I don't want to get too wrapped up in that, but it's just kind of like, what's the point? Like, are we are we kind of overthinking here? Like randomly starting Gary Payton and trying to throw him minutes? I, I don't know. Like again, kind of like against. Um, booker and in phoenix it looked like they wanted to have him try to like shut down donovan mitchell or something like that or like annoy him but i mean it didn't work like you know all the bucks i think tweeted out of a nice video showing peyton going under two screens for some mysterious reason and donovan mitchell hitting a three-pointer in his eye so Um, that's what i want to talk about so again i'm i'm totally okay with kind of tempering the anger but that three was the jazz's second offensive possession of the game and he decided to go under a double screen for Donovan Mitchell, and that put the Bucks down five to zero. So again, the Bucks ended up coming back a little bit, and I'm trying to trying to see where Gary Payton too leaves the game. Uh, they're down fifteen to eight when he leaves the game, four and a half minutes in. Uh, so, like, I, I guess the big thing for me is like, it, it's the same question I've always had with with Glove Junior. What's he good at? Like, he's <laughs> supposed to be good at defense, but he's never been a good defender. Never. Like, never once in his NBA career has he been a good NBA defender. He always has brain farts like this. He always does stuff where it's just like, you have the tools to be a good defender. What are you doing? And that, like, that play perfectly encapsulated it for me. Like, you, uh, the second play of the game, they run a set for Donovan Mitchell, and you go under two screens? What? So, uh, again, I, I just don't... 
I get trying to figure some other things out with the bench units and or with the units that are more bench heavy. Like I understand all of that, but Glove Jr. is not the answer. He will never be the answer. Like he's never been the answer. So him being some defensive stopper, like that's just not a thing that he is. Uh, so <laughs> well, that's that's sort of the question. Like, what what's sort of the end game here? Like, if this works, yeah, you're not going to start Gary Payton. No, right? you're not going to do mean, anything sort of with him. Like, there's a million other things you could have tried that I think I probably would have been more willing to accept. Just about anything, anything else with the roster. I think I'd been more willing to accept than starting a game with three point guards, one of which being Gary Payton Jr. or Gary Payton too, excuse me, and then a game where he starts as the second point guard, as a shooting guard instead of Tony Snell. Like, no, like there's just no way that that is going to end up working out. So it was just something that totally confused me, and I didn't understand at all. Like the end game there. It is just I have no idea what it could possibly be. So um, that that one just really bothered me because I just don't ever see what you're actually getting there. Like there, there's been nothing that Glove Jr. has proven in his time in an NBA jersey or in a just in a G League jersey. Like at any point to make me think that the things that he could possibly do, the the arguments that you could make to play him those minutes to do those things with him. I just don't see it. So I don't know. I, I was really bothered by it. I don't think it made any sense. And I, I thought you could see immediately that it didn't work out. <laughs> you go down five to zero on just plays that he just can't really make. So um, I don't know that that one really bothered me because because I totally don't get it. And I guess kind of the hope was that the the coaching staff would be able to figure out better bench pairings and figure out exactly how to use this and again it's not great that the Delvadova and Teletovich injuries happen at the same time because when you are shortening up that rotation I think everything kind of works out a, a little bit better uh, if you have those two guys in then I think maybe you could have a nice neatish nine man rotation or so because um, you can go Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis, Henson, Maker, Brogdon, Snell, and then Delavadova and Toledovich, and I think that might even be ten. Um, I was doing a bad job counting as I was saying those names, but either way, like that, that would be how it would work out. But man, I just, I just don't get throwing other bad basketball players at the problem. Like that, that's never going to be the solution. Yeah, I mean the only the only the only thing I think of is like, well, are they just trying to like figure out if there's any, you know, point to, point to Gary Payton? Because again, I mean, the clock on Payton's two way contract, you know, they have forty five days of him with the with the NBA team, and there's no like way to really uh, there's no source to see what guys have used. Um, you know, at least there's no easy way to figure out what they've used. I mean, I, again, I I don't know if he's in. He's got to be in the teens at this point. Um, and you know, I don't know when Delavadova comes back. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe is this like them trying to like get a read if like they even want you know to bother keeping him up with the team at all? 
Um, or, or, you know, again, if they, if he runs out of his 45 days, then they either, you know, send him back down for the, basically the rest of the season to the G league. Um, or they could sign him to an ABA contract, which, you know, as you said, like I just, on the list of problems, this Bucks team has right now, what the hell to do with Gary Payton (laughs) is so low on that list. Cut him now. I don't care. Like, uh, uh, there's so many problems. The offense looks like crap. The defense is terrible. Like, there's so many problems. Like that. If that's the reason, that is just negligent. I I agree. And and again, like, I would rather be spending those t- those minutes on Sterling Brown, right? Who we yeah. did see, and you know, he had had kind of one had an open th- corner three that he missed um, early when he, when he came in, but then came back. Um, deflected a pass kind of near basically just inside half court deflected it up in the air jumps up and gets it uh pushes the ball down the court and then with the defense laying off just pulls up and calmly hits like an elbow jumper um that was pretty much it that from what we saw for sterling he came back late uh, in garbage time but i can't um, tell you how much happier i would have been if how it went was sterling brown gets 14 minutes and gary payton gets zero then zero both minutes, of them getting yeah. seven Right, because at least uh, right, because at least Sterling Brown figures to have some potential role with this team over the next couple of years, and you've got a you know an NBA contract invested in him over the next few years, and, and also you know, there's a possible NBA role for him, right? A non-shooting point guard that's strangely athletic and can dunk sometimes, but also a bad defender. But he also gets rebounds sometimes. But also that's not really all that helpful from the point guard. Like that's not an NBA role. That's nothing. Right. That is nothing. Right. And meanwhile, you know, uh, also on the downside, what DJ Wilson was inactive for this game, I believe, um, in spite of the fact that, you know, there is no backup power forward, really. And sorry, but Joel Ballenboy, I'm not counting as a, as a power forward at the NBA level. But um, Giannis comes back and has no real backup and DJ Wilson isn't even active, which I think kind of tells you where dj wilson is right now in terms of jason kidd's rotation slash his confidence level um which you know again is uh, something that we have um commiserated about previously given especially you know certainly other rookies uh, around the league not making you feel any better uh, about that um but w- whatever i'd rather not talk about the guys who didn't play tonight because there's yeah. a, at least enough talk about the the guys who did well let's let's talk a little bit so uh, you know okay we know everything everything is horrible and blad and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I mean, whatever, like all the Jason kid, not being the future of this team at, at head coach, all that stuff is obviously still applying. Um, and I'm, I'm confident we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Um, more than we already have tonight, but, um, maybe if we end this on a high note, um, <laughs> um, so Eric Blood, so we didn't really talk about him. Um, I think defensively, uh, and and again in the all the Bucks uh, Twitter thread, he kind of called out a couple times where Bledsoe, you know, seems to be struggling a bit, knowing like when he's which whether he's supposed to be, you know, tagging uh, roll men or whether he's supposed to be, uh, you know, what what the Bucks are even trying to do defensively. But yeah, in, in spite of all that, I mean, Bledsoe tonight, very quiet first half. Um, finishes 18 points on 13 shots, seven assists, two steals, a block. Um, was certainly a big part of, I think, getting the Bucks going in that third quarter when they actually did show those nice signs of life um, early on after halftime. Um, you know, and and a couple times, just I think, just showed. You know, he, he's a guy who, unlike pretty much everybody else in the Bucks roster, certainly everyone else in the Bucks point guard spot, you give him a little bit of a crease, he can actually attack the rim and make teams pay. And again, there's still obviously a long way to go before this offense is kind of clicking on all cylinders. But 
I, by the same token, I think what we're seeing from Bledsoe, I mean, he's a, you know, a guy that, um, as much as the offense isn't like completely clicking with him on the court, you know, I think there's a reason why those, you know, starting lineup, the, the kind of most used Bledsoe lineup is actually scoring at a very high level. And it's because there's a lot of talent around him and he's a talented guy. And, you know, the shot hasn't been necessarily been there at this season. He was one out of four from three, uh, on Saturday night, but clearly he's got skill, he's got talent. And, you know, again, you hope that over time, not only does he stay healthy, but, you know, kind of the blood so that we know continues to, to kind of shine through. And, um, you know, we haven't seen it necessarily at a really consistent level so far, but, um, I thought we saw it again on Saturday. We saw, you know, glimpses of, of what he can do and, how he gives them a dimension that certainly they didn't have before the trade. Yeah. And and I mean, I I think that was kind of always the idea that the fit is not going to be perfect. Obviously you want someone that shoots the ball a little bit better, like Malcolm Brogdon. And obviously that was something that we talked about, uh, that Bledsoe's fit isn't quite as perfect with Giannis and Chris, but you do hope that as the season moves forward, that kind of everything gets figured out. everyone's roles get figured out a little bit more we stop seeing Middleton go on ball quite as much and he starts to move to more of an off ball role and shoot more threes and do uh, a little bit more of that and for all of that to be possible like you need to see Eric Bledsoe start feeling kind of like the Eric Bledsoe that we've seen him be in the past and in a night of 18 points and seven assists on seven of 13 shots like that'll do it like that 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 will fit in um obviously it was a terrible night for Middleton 4 of 15 uh from the field one of six from three just nine points um but you you I still don't think we've seen the game where Giannis Chris and Bledsoe all play well like we haven't seen that one yet and I think you do hope that one of those games is coming. Um, and, yeah, the Bledsoe adds a dynamic to this team that simply wasn't there when non-Giannis players had the ball in their hand. Uh, just because he, he does have that speed, he can get into those uh, kind of those nooks and crannies of a defense where you're going to be able to make teams make tough decisions and that's exactly kind of why you want Eric Bledsoe there and uh, you want him to be able to kind of get into those spaces and make things difficult for the opposing teams yeah and we'll see and Middleton you know again frustrating after the 40 point night uh, in Phoenix as you said four out of 15 just one out of six from three Uh, also five turnovers and um, just just kind of didn't didn't get in any rhythm um, you know turnaround jump shots, you know, that kind of stuff that's just like, ugh, you know, that we always kind of wring our hands over. Um, by the way, I would say this, like, the coaching side needs to get, like, a, a collar or something for when Chris shoots those, when he turns around over his left shoulder, so basically when he has to, like, completely sort of turn around to get a shot off, if you guys can picture this, yeah. turning over his right shoulder is is generally easier for, for a guy in the post for a right-handed shot just because, again, you, you turn right and your, your arm's right there right you don't need to turn your body completely around to get squared up chris chris still takes these like you know turns over his left shoulder where he has to completely spin his body in order to get squared up to to take a jumper and it's like man what does he shoot on those like does he shoot like 15 percent on those like 20 percent on those at best i mean that is just such a tough shot I and mean, we, we saw Giannis hit one the other night and i was like wow i was impressed but also like not a good shot. Don't do that. <laughs> Not a good shot to be taking. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, tough, tough night shooting the ball for for Chris. Um, and uh, again, you know, unfortunate thing, you know, again, Brogdon and Snell combined 15 out of 19 off the bench shooting six out of seven from three. I mean, Tony Snell, like shout out to Tony Snell. I mean, his true shooting right now is 69.5%. He's around 48% from three, 54% overall from the field. Like that was why I could not handle screwing with him. Like, yeah, yeah. that dude does not deserve to be moved out of the starting line, no matter what you're trying to do. No matter, no matter what, like, and I'm the biggest Middleton guy. Like, to me, moving Middleton to the bench would make more sense than moving Tony Snell there. Like, he's just a guy that's going to help out your offense, give you space, and shoot those shots, and just kind of play within himself. And that's something yeah. you need within a starting lineup that has some bigger hitters. And uh, that's yeah, it was frustrating. The, the one negative of Tony's season is that you know I think we've talked about this before, but like incredibly his usage rate has somehow fallen even further. Tony, who's <laughs> basically been one of the lowest usage guys around, um, his, in 13-14, he used 14.2% of possessions in Chicago. The next year, 13.3%. The year after that, 13.1%. Last year, 11.4%. I mean, this is an incredibly low number for a starting you know, caliber player, um, a guy that actually can shoot and hit shots, and a guy who, you know, when he has really any crease he will shoot a three-pointer it's not like he's a guy that has to be wide open to take a shot but you know again he doesn't really try to do anything other than shoot open jump shots and until of late we've seen him do a little bit more of that we saw a number of plays on saturday where he showed you know not only a willingness but a capability to do that um that play where he had a a pick and roll i think it was late in the clock too where you know he went right down main street took took the screen defense kind of gave him a crease and he just went down and threw a beautiful dunk down in the middle of the lane um not great defense but you know, shout out to Tony. They they yeah. probably were not expecting him to do that either. Um, and so, you know, again, like you'd love to see him up that that usage a little bit because again, if you're hitting that percentage of shots and you're using it that rarely, the obvious uh, you know suggestion would be, hey Tony, uh, shoot shoot a little bit more. You know, like and and I don't know. We'll we'll see. I think it'll be interesting if he if he does look to put it on the dribble more consistently and obviously probably he's not going to do what he did uh, on Saturday but he's had a few games like this where you know he just shoots 70 or 80 percent and um you know you kind of say well that's not going to happen every night but he's had a bunch of those games yeah so hopefully kind of sanity prevails and we see Tony back in the starting five again you know him playing 38 minutes sort of underscores that you know again he did get his minutes he got yep. the burn he deserved um but you know it's easier to do that when a guy starts as well and um we'll just have to see how, how and also malcolm out, brogdon get didn't get the minutes that he deserved right so exactly tony brogdon wasn't the one got, that got screwed over someone else did right right so i don't know so we talked about the honest thing um you know i, I think whether and i know this is not going to be what people want to hear but you know Again, I don't think you know the Bucks can go out and lose in Sacramento on Tuesday. I still don't think Jason Kidd's going to get fired on Wednesday. Um, I think it's probably going to be a longer-term thing, and people are just going to have to be patient. And I think that's the, the unfortunate thing, right? Given the reality of you know, if you do make a coaching move at this point, you're not going to go hire some outside guy. It's going to be you know Joe Prunty taking over or whatever. I think that means Jason Kidd is going to get a leash. And as frustrating as it's been watching the Bucks of late. Um, you know they're going to have some time to figure this out, right? Um, I think one thing to note. I mean, you know, we we've mentioned in the past twenty games usually a pretty good barometer of like which teams 
are going to be in and out of the playoffs. Um, you know, right now the Bucks are are not in the playoffs as it currently stands. There's obviously many many games left in this season. By all you know, for for all intents and purposes, um, there is plenty of time to right the ship if if they're ever going to figure stuff out. Um, but by the same token, um, you know, I think when we get to this twenty game mark, it'll be a good chance to kind of step back and and look at where this Bucks team is, and also look at where some of the other teams in the East are, because obviously there have been a number of teams that have been better than people expected, and the Bucks are one of the teams that that hasn't lived up to billing so far, and certainly at nine and nine through uh, eighteen games, I mean, it's not a disaster by any stretch, but you know their point differential also suggests this team has been playing worse than than a 500 record. Um, they've had some really bad games and they haven't really had many great games, um, if any, <laughs> so yeah. far. So um, I, I don't know. And again, on Tuesday against the Kings, it's not like that's going to be a great you know measuring stick for whether this team is on the right track, right? I mean, that's a game that they have to go out and win. I think the Portland game will probably be much better. Uh, you know telling of of where they are as a team but um certainly for now um we'll just you know it's again you're just sort of taking these things game by game and just sort of seeing which bucks team shows up and whether you know again they can figure things out on a night-to-night basis or not whether the defense actually works or whether defense gets exploited um everything just seems to vary wildly from from one night to the next i agree with everything you said but but i look at sacramento in Sacramento, so you have them at on the road on Tuesday and then at home on Saturday. I think if you perform poorly against them, you have five other games consecutively where you're playing teams that have already made you look bad. You have so you go at Sacramento, then at Portland. Portland is a team that with that high pick and roll kind of style, can they have made the Bucks look bad in the past first game this year? Bucks were generally fine there, but they can't make you look bad. Then you go home to Sacramento, then at Boston. Obviously, uh, we saw the Mecca game. They've played Boston somewhat well, but also those are the games where Giannis has. Uh, I mean, that last Boston game, Giannis really struggled uh, when they threw Horford at him. Then you go to, D- or then you're at home for Detroit again. One of the ugliest games of the year was that one at Detroit. Then you have Dallas. The ugliest game of the year was that game at Dallas. And then you have Utah. All three are at home, but all three of those teams, then you add Boston and Portland, have the chance to make you look bad. Uh, And they already have done so this season. So I, I would definitely agree that because of, I mean, firing someone in season just is really, I mean, it puts your team kind of at a disadvantage because you're not going to hire someone new. Uh, you're going to just move someone up the pecking order, so it would probably be Joe Prunty. So you're really just going to end up running the same offense that Joe Prunty runs right now. And I can't imagine you're cleaning the full house, so I can't imagine Sweeney's gone because he's also close with Giannis. I don't know. There's a whole untangling that would be very difficult to do any of that. But if the basketball they play continues to look like the basketball they've played in the last four games maybe maybe you're looking at a, a team that just becomes more and more frustrated the chemistry isn't there the things you just i don't want to say you're going to see more of Giannis telling sweeney i'm going to f you up but more of those kind of incidents could happen where people get fired up and uh, ju- it, the team just isn't working well together. So um, it, I, I'm not going to say it's make or break or anything like that because, like you said, I, I do think 
there's always kind of the idea like, well, let's let everything kind of settle itself and work itself out. But at the same time, like there's there's some potential in these next couple of weeks for things to go very poorly. Yeah, and I think this is sort of I think this is where the kind of Milwaukee mindset also and, and again, like I you know, as fans we fall we, we fall into it right where we don't we're not used to having a team that actually has expectations. Yeah. You know, like we we get a couple wins and everybody starts to feel better about things. And again, I don't think that people are gonna suddenly want Jason Kidd to be the head coach long term. <laughs> like I know that's not gonna happen because I think yeah. we've seen enough at this point. Like, you know, the Bucks aren't gonna go from twenty second in defense to top, you know, seven or eight in a matter of like three, you know, b- beating like three bad teams <laughs> kinda sorta, yeah. like not convincingly. I mean, you know, you're not gonna see like some sea change overall, right? The the kind of fundamentals of the team, um, are, are going to kind of be what they are probably unless there's really fundamental improvements that, you know, again, at this point, like we know they should be possible, but do you believe that, you know, this coaching staff is going to be able to get them to play at a high level defensively? Well, you know, what, why should we expect them to do it now? Um, so I, but I think it is a I mean, again, like it, it's, it, I, I think it, it's one of those things like I'm, I wouldn't tell people like, Oh, you have to be patient with this team because they're, they're young and it's early in the season. Like you don't have to be patient. Like I think it's more just a matter no. of like, just think about it realistically. Correct. And I don't think ownership is, I don't think ownership is necessarily going to be super patient, but I think people, I, I think it's sort of one of those things like, you know, people want Jason Kidd to be fired as soon as possible just because they just want to make sure that like he doesn't stick around long enough for like the team randomly to start playing better again, which is kind of what happened last season, right? Like yeah. they, they were not fundamentally that, that great in the last you know two months of the season but they won a bunch of close games and everybody started to feel good about themselves and then you know they played a team in toronto that was kind of uniquely not qualified to exploit them <laughs> and they looked pretty good and then sort of like everybody started to feel a lot better um but again i think the talent is there to actually feel good about this team but the question is can you actually turn that into something that you know is a winning product on the, on the court and um again like i got maybe they can figure out maybe that talent level can just carry you to, to wins and, and things can start to click a little bit. Um, but, um, by the same token, I think it's one of those things that, um, I'd probably wait until I, I think it'd be more likely, you know, if, if they, if they can, you know, if this sort of a thing we've seen the last couple of years, well, more like last year and this year, you know, where they just like can't get over 500, they're just stuck at 500, all these other teams, you know, Philly obviously is, has raced past them at this point in terms of, you know, the way that they look on the court, you know, barring like an Embiid injury, which is possible, but, um, but Phillies race past them. Um, they certainly don't appear capable of being a top five team, the way they're playing right now. There's the talent to be a top five team, but are they really going to turn the corner? You know, maybe Washington with the John Wall injury, maybe there's a door opening there. Um, but you know, again, if the bucks are sitting like, you know, on the brink of the playoffs, 30 games, 40 games into the season and all the problems we always complain about are still the same problems and guys are still getting frustrated here and there. And, you know, like you said, maybe Giannis isn't swearing at assistant coaches or whatever. (laughs) Um, But if that happens, then maybe you could actually see something happen. Um, And, and maybe it would be bad enough to actually happen right away. I think, I think as of now, I mean, I would tell people as of right now, I think you're on track to see a new head coach next summer, but I know that's not, going to you know give people a lot of comfort when they're yeah. seeing the team kind of stutter along and you know feeling like man we've got two years of eric bledsoe and 
how do we make the best use of that? You know, and just sort of like, ah, well, you know, maybe I'll do something in the summer is not a satisfying answer. But as you said, it's also kind of, you know, difficult to expect total revolution of the team by putting Joe Prunty as the head coach. Um, but, but I don't know. I mean, by the same token, I think if you do rip that bandaid and I think you would only see it if the team continues to really underachieve and if the players, you know, just tune out Jason Kidd as the head yeah. coach, right? And you see this sort of dysfunction seem to kind of percolate to the surface. Maybe then you would actually see um, a move. I mean, that's the reason. Play. That's the time when cutting the the head off the snake like makes sense. Right. Like if if it's just so poisonous and so toxic that that's the only way to get rid of it. Like yes, then that would be the case. So it would have to be a situation where there's just so much frustration with him on the team and guys just can't deal with them and are tuning them out then that makes sense to keep the same offensive and defensive system in place but just get rid of the guy that's in charge right and again i'm not saying that this is the answer that people should be satisfied with in season but you know from a pragmatic standpoint as far as what you should expect from the team um you know john horst is in his first season as general manager um it's a big deal if you're trying to advocate for getting rid of your head coach that you've sat around with, you know, saying like, oh, we're making all these decisions together and trying to, you know, play this this angle of that you are working with everybody to to make this team great. And if now, you know, 20 games in a season, um, you're starting to see it slip away. It, it's tough to then go to the point of actually saying, you know, this dude's gone and we're going to roll with, you know, his assistance and just sort of hope to make the best of it for us this season to figure out in the summer it's tough and i know that's not really satisfying for people um but i think this summer basically this is i mean by bringing jason kidd back this is what you signed up for you basically signed up for another season of jason kidd's sort of systems and jason kidd's philosophy and some facsimile thereof whether or not jason kidd would actually finish out the season so um you know again i'm not saying hey make the best of it people or love it while it's here, you know, whatever I get it. Um, but this is sort of probably what you're going to see some version of moving forward. And at, at a minimum, you just, I think at a, you know, you have to at least sort of be able to start to think about how this team fits together and, you know, whether regardless of who's the coach in the short term or long term, um, you know, how does, how good can this team be? And probably that's the most frustrating thing right now, especially just from a discourse standpoint, it's just frustrating, right? Because it's like we, any conversation of players just sort of like always seems to just diverge into a Jason Kidd conversation. Um, and I think certainly like, you know, we at least try to keep keep a focus on players and how good this team actually could be and what you could actually do with them and how they fit. Um, and I understand that sometimes people are going to be folk, be frustrated that we don't just always talk about Jason Kidd being the root of all problems. Um, but obviously, the players are the ones that, you know, especially some of these core guys are the ones that are going to be around probably longer than Jason Kidd. And so it's important to keep an eye on how these guys are fitting and, and also what makes sense in terms of how they're using them and maybe how to not use them. All right, Frank. I'm done. I think. Done. I think. This one wait too long. I have to get up early for a flight tomorrow. <laughs> God damn it, Bucks! Why do we talk so much about you? Uh, that like that is the realest disappointment Frank has ever voiced on this podcast. Just disappointment in, in himself and us for not being able to keep any Bucks conversation as short as we may like. So that just means more content for you guys. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another episode, and we will talk to you, talk to you then. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.